Now you the catch my shot. For your sake, I go go touch We go drive around you for my Porsche. Baby, Pana. They say he like you all. I got you all. Baby, Pana. Anywhere that you go, I go follow you to go. Baby, Pana. They say he like cassava. I get to be cassava. Baby, Pana. My love for you. You never die, you never die. Uh, oh baby, Ibai Ibai. Baby, you too sweet, you forever. Uh, baby, dance to do the lagwaja. Mm, I can take you to Fagwalada. Ibai Ibai, oh baby, Ibai Ibai. Baby, you too sweet, you forever. Uh, baby, dance to do the lagwaja. Oh, I can take you to Fagwalada. So love is a beautiful thing. Can you the cool my temper? Love is a wonderful tender feeling.
to uh, political information, political news, where we are going to engage our political leaders. Uh, Zambia Block Talk Radio is an African diaspora platform, so to speak, or per se, and we engage uh, political discourse across the continent, whether it involves one of our African countries or including Zambia. So today we are going across the border and to sort of engage our brothers from Zimbabwe and hear some of the things that are going on there. It has been an embattled country and a lot of things have been going on. Before I introduce our guest, uh, let me say hello to my colleague here. And uh, Noah, good morning. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Oh, doing good, doing good. It's a cloudy cloudy morning this side. I think we're expecting snow, but uh, despite the weather being gloomy, uh, we are in uh-huh. high spirits. What, let me ask you this before we engage our guest here and begin to speak about Zimbabwe. Uh, how did you find yourself in that uh, situation? How, how did, was that Radio Sun FM or Radio Phoenix? Oh, that was Sun FM because uh, after those remarks were made by the minister, there were mm-hmm. a lot of audio messages which were going back and forth. And as leaders, we took it upon ourselves to issue a response sort of to cap down on those uh, audio messages, which for the most part, they were just insulting and of a negative tone. So we thought of us putting up a, a, a formal response it will show one that at least the leadership has taken a response and sort of to calm or pacify the people and then at the same time try to address the concerns and issues which were raised by the community okay okay that's good that's good Mm, excellent Uh, so mm, i listened to it and uh, (laughs) it was interesting but that's another issue for another day uh, today we are uh, talking to uh, what do you call it. We are talking to uh, 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 our brother and friend uh, from Zimbabwe, uh, Anotida Chikumbu, is uh, a PhD student and graduate teaching assistant in the Department of History at the University of Massachusetts. I got to know. Uh, Noah and Otida through, he wrote an article about Zambia and a friend of mine saw it and sent it to me. Uh, This is like last year and they said that uh, Nathan, you need to have this gentleman on your show and uh, you know, just uh, uh, let him talk about these things and issues concerning Zambia. So we are greatly honored and privileged today to have a political historian, economic historian, an African, a son of the soil, to join us and to talk about what is going on in Zimbabwe. Uh, my brother, Notida Chikumbu, good morning, and welcome to Zander Block Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Nkama. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Excellent Wonderful. to have you. Anatida, we have a lot of things to cover this morning. Uh, first of all, Zimbabwe has gone through a lot of things. And what I would like you to do is give us a brief synopsis of the transition from the late 
Robert Mugabe to the current president. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Mr. Nkama, for the opportunity. I am very much enjoying following Zambia Block Talk Radio. So mm-hmm. what happened in Zimbabwe uh, is that um, Robert Mugabe was uh, the president of the country from 1980 up to uh, 2017 in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in 2017, uh, there was a coup that happened uh, against his government. And as a result of that, a parliamentary motion to impeach him was instituted by uh, members of parliament, and uh, it was also characterized by military intervention. So it's somewhere that is in between a military coup and as well as a constitutional and lawful impeachment through processes of parliament. Hello. Hello, Anotida. Yes, Mr. Nkama. Okay, yes, yes. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um that that's how uh, uh Mugabe got to be impeached uh through that mm-hmm. military intervention that happened in November. Uh, mm. And after that, uh, he was replaced by uh, President Munangagwa, who had all along been his uh, deputy president uh, and as well as cabinet minister for quite some time. Um, mm. President Munangagwa was also uh, uh, elected to be uh, executive president by a uh, constitutional election that uh, took place in the country in 2018. Okay. Okay, okay. So just clarify one thing before we get into the nitty gritties. Is was is it authentic or was it true or was it just Western propaganda that he, um uh the uh what Mugabe's wife was he, Mugabe was sort of working towards uh, uh preparing what do you call it? Preparing his wife to take over. Well, uh, I, I actually don't think that it's Western propaganda that uh, mm. this was happening. It, it's something that was happening uh, in the view of everybody. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Grace Mugabe at one point uh, was uh, going around the country, going around the country throughout all provinces and was addressing people on some please, you know, showing that he, she has got... Uh, a presidential ambition, and she was attacking most of these some PF politicians, showing signs that it's very interesting in up mm. the height of yeah. So uh, it's something that had been uh, closely and collectively organized by uh, the youth league of the Sanu PF during that time, uh, a movement that was called the Generation 40 movement that uh, supported the move that. Uh, Grace Mugabe should uh, succeed President uh, Robert Mugabe. So the plan was that uh, Grace Mugabe was going to be uh, elected the, uh, 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 an official of the party to stand for the presidency the Congress that was supposed to be held towards the end of in 2007. 
So all this military intervention and military coup happened as a response to that movement. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, Anotida, has the West... Zimbabwe is going through a very difficult time, has been going through a very difficult time. And the issue that I really want you and us to engage in is to inform the community about the, the, the welfare of the Zimbabwean people, the economic situation, based on the, the what do you call it, based on the current relationship Zimbabwe has had where, well, let's say since Robert Mugabe, he was not in good standing. Has the West, the EU, the European Union, and the United States and its allies, have they been fair to Zimbabwe? Well, uh, I think that, that que- the answer to that question is, is, you know, is very complex. There have been a whole lot of issues that have happened with the presidency of uh, um, Nangagwa and the presidency of uh, Robert Mugabe. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the West, to some, the West to some degree has not been fair to Zimbabwe and to some other degree it has been fair. You know, provided mm-hmm. the case that uh, Zimbabwe is under sanctions right now and it has been under sanctions for something like uh, 18 years since the early 2000s. The sanctions, which include uh, United States sanctions and European Union sanctions, and these sanctions have been put in place with a direct uh, uh, intention that uh, they would want to provide for a transition to democracy and to promote economic recovery in Zimbabwe, and they uh, uh, are required that the government should implement reforms, economic reforms uh, that. Uh, result in an end to political violence, uh, an end to violation of human rights, and uh, a, a, an environment that ensures and reinforces uh, the respect for the rule of law. So these issues, uh, uh, the government has tried by all means to address these issues uh, throughout uh, the presidency of Mugabe and the presidency of uh, Mnangago. But the issue is it, it is difficult to determine whether a country has reached a very uh, generally accepted view of respect of these three fundamental things, that is democracy, the rule of law, and human rights, because they are issues that affect the entire globe. They affect the United States, they affect the European Union, they affect almost all the countries in Asia and in Africa. So it's difficult to for a country to be judged by other countries that this is the standard benchmark of democracy. This is how your rule of law should be. This is how your human rights should be. So this has been the case with uh, the West, and this is why I feel that to some degree it has not been fair. But I also feel that to some other uh, degree, uh, the government of Zimbabwe itself, uh, it has mm-hmm. got a very huge role that it is supposed to play. Because uh, currently, as we speak, uh, we still have problems in Zimbabwe, problems of political violence, problems of uh, abductions of uh, opposition leaders and abductions of uh, trade unionist leaders against uh, who uh, 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 protest and, uh, you know, institute um, uh, protest movements against the government, which is something that is bad. So. When it comes to the Western world, you know, and a picture that uh, Zimbabwe doesn't respect human rights, 
it becomes a very big problem. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. So, for the sake of people listening who may not understand what we are talking about here, Notida, how long have these, uh, these sanctions been in place? What reasons did the European Union and the United States give for putting these sanctions in place? Well, uh, these, these sanctions, uh, especially the, uh, the sanctions that were imposed by the United States, were imposed uh, in, in early 2001 as a response okay. to uh, the first land reform program that had been introduced by mm-hmm. President Mugabe. So this fast track land reform program, it resulted into uh, massive violations of human rights and political violence uh, mm. against commercial farmers in the country. And so as a response to that, the United States uh, imposed what I usually like to call the S-494 document, which was, uh, <laughs> which was an act, uh, a bill that was passed by the Congress you know, to, mm. to provide for a transition to democracy and to promote economic recovery. It's commonly known as the ZIDERA Act. So this uh, ZIDERA Act has been renewed uh, for quite some time since the early 2000s up until now. And what I would want mm. to do now is to uh, stipulate what the document itself uh, articulates and how these uh, provisions affect the performance of the Zimbabwean economy. So uh, you may want to know that uh, the the S-494 document stipulates that uh, uh, certain politicians, about 60, if not 50 of them, they are under mm-hmm. travel bans. You know, they are under travel bans, most of the, and most of them are government politicians. And, mm-hmm. you know, they occupy government office. Uh, and the other uh, uh, provision that is there in the document is a restriction on... Uh, uh, state-owned companies and certain mm. corporations that are owned by the state. And the rule is that the Secretary of the Treasury um, of the United States uh, clearly instructs that each uh, U.S. executive director of each international uh, financial institution should vote against the extension of loan credits to Zimbabwe and the uh, moves to cancel uh, uh, moves of debt cancellation against Zimbabwe. So what this does is that it affects the financial and banking sector of the country, such that uh, mm. these uh, state-owned companies cannot access capital to uh, keep on uh, running and keep on uh, doing business uh, to greater heights in Zimbabwe. So what this does is that it does away this. Uh, 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 it erodes this misconception that is amongst most Zimbabweans and most uh, people in the West that these sanctions are targeted sanctions. The sanctions, to some varying degree, I would say that they are not targeted because, of course, the, the sanctions on individuals are targeted, but those on uh, state-owned corporations are not targeted because uh, mm. these are state, uh, state-owned corporations. I would give you the example of a company that is called the International Development Corporation, which is mm-hmm. uh, a company that also co-owns a number of companies in, inside Zimbabwe that employs thousands of people. So if this company cannot access capital, you know, to mm. do uh, certain uh, projects, and uh, if the country itself cannot access capital that... 
uh, is essential for these uh, state-owned companies. It's difficult, you know, to go about doing business. It's go up. It's difficult to go about uh, in uh, embarking on capital projects that result in projects that will put money into the hands of the people. So this is the most significant and fundamental problem that affects the Zimbabwean economy, in as much as sanctions are concerned. But this so is the, the, uh, let me say this before you continue. So the travel embargo still applies to all, is it specific number of Zimbabwean political leaders or it's across all politicians? No, it doesn't affect every politician. It affects mm -hmm. the politicians that are the uh, that that are, are are viewed to be corrupt, that they depict to be corrupt politicians. So it's not okay. like it applies to politicians. It just applies to specific individuals that are uh, uh, stipulated in that act. Okay, so these uh, these these politicians have been listed. Uh, and in that act, right? Yeah, they've been listed in that act, and as a result, they are restricted uh, to travel. Uh, they, they have been banned to visit the United States or visit uh, certain other countries in the West. Mm. Okay, okay, understandable. So, where do what, what has been um, uh, Manang Gagwa's relationship with the United States and the European Union. Uh, how long has he been in power? Anyway, you can also give us that update so that we sort of get an understanding um, that that background. Yeah, well, uh, I would say that um, President Mnangagwa um, was, uh, he became president in 2017, immediately after the ouster of President Mugabe. Okay. And he was, he was also further endorsed by an election that happened in 2018. So it's like uh, he has been in power for something like uh, two years, two years and a couple of months. And what mm -hmm. he has done is that he has tried to uh, re-engage with the international community, you know, to say to try and uh, say that now because Mugabe is uh, a thing of the past, we now have a new government, a new dispensation, and we are putting in place reforms to eliminate draconian laws that have been imposed by the government of Mugabe that include uh, notorious uh, uh, bills, uh, uh, legislations that include uh, one that is called the Public Order and Security Act, uh, mm -hmm. and there's uh, the that they call access to information and protection of privacy act you know elimination of such draconian laws and uh, uh readjusting what they call the indigenization and economic empowerment act to try and allow uh, foreign companies to uh invest in the country and he has actually uh introduced a policy that has now become rhetoric among most politicians that zimbabwe is op open for business and uh -huh. this is an effort to try and re-engage with the international community. But the problem uh -huh. currently is that this relationship has not been bolstered enough because what the international community is uh, significantly concerned about Zimbabwe is that how is the environment itself conducive for the business that most politicians talk about. 
They want to see uh, a peaceful political environment. They want to see uh, uh, a genuine respect for the rule of law, uh, uh, a proper legal status and legal structure. They want to see respect of human rights, you know, lower levels of criminality. They want to see economic growth. So these fundamentals have not been at play, you know, uh, since uh, 2017 because the country is facing a very uh, significant uh, financial crisis. And uh, to some degree, because of uh, increasing government corruption uh, and misguided macroeconomic policies, I could give the example of uh, this policy that is called the Transitional Stabilization uh, program okay. that began in 2018, you know, and this program speaks of uh, austerity measures um, that uh, uh, require the government to cut back on spending and uh, increase taxes. It has been hard uh, for Zimbabweans because it's a, an economy that is not producing, people are not earning, and the government, instead of cutting back on recurrent expenditure, is actually increasing its expenditure and even running further more deficits that makes it very difficult for an economy to keep running. So this is why the relationship between uh, the West and uh, the presidency of Mugabe has not been intact, regardless of the fact that the president is making efforts to re-engage with the rest of the world. Mm, interesting, interesting. Those of you that are listening online and those of you that have just called in, we're talking to Anoti Dachikumbu, is a PhD student and graduate teaching assistant at uh, University of Massachusetts. Uh, please, uh, let me just say this. The reason I'm talking to Anotida is we are not just, it's not just an intellectual discussion. Anotida came into the United States about two months ago, Anotida? Yeah, it's, it's about three months ago. About three months ago. He just moved here to come and do his PhD. So he's speaking from things that he has personally experienced, he has gone through as a Zimbabwean, and he has seen these things. So this is not a person who lives in the diaspora giving an academic discussion here. I, I just wanted to clarify that. So Anotida knows what he's talking about. He's, an authentic, he's a writer. He has written a lot. He has also written about Zambia, some things that I didn't even know, uh, everybody listening, that he brought out. Is uh, going to give us his uh, blog and how we can follow his writing and things like that. So those of you that have called in, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. If you, if you, if if you want to ask a question to Anotida, uh, please press one on your phone keypad so that I know that you want to ask him a question. Uh, let's continue our discussion here, Anotida. So you have mentioned that corruption has continued. So basically what you are saying is that there hasn't been any change from Mugabe's time to what we are seeing now. Is that right? Could you explain yeah, on that? A, yeah, there's not been uh, any significant change because uh, the corruption levels are actually increasing rather than decreasing. And it's so sad because uh, uh, studies that have been made by economists who have look in, looked into this issue have, have actually portrayed that uh, the country loses more in billions to uh, corruption than it loses to sanctions. And it's a very mm. sad thing you know, uh, of a country oh, to be experiencing goodness. such things. Yeah. 
recently uh, uh, the country uh, uh, is it's said to have lost billions and billions of dollars from the reports that came out of the public accounts committee parliamentary portfolio committee that is chaired by uh, the vice president of the MDC who's called Tendai Miti. He, uh, uh, he tabled uh, uh, a, a paper that depicted that the country has been losing billions and billions of dollars mm. to corruption, which is something that uh, cannot be acceptable at this point in time because an economy that is under sanctions needs to be very sensitive of issues of corruption because uh, it is an economy that should be trying to mitigate you know, things that can exacerbate the problems that are caused by sanctions. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting, interesting. Wow, you've made a statement there that has really caught my attention. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! Did, did, I, I don't know whether you guys have heard this. Where, where is Noah Matilda here? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. My, is, is this Pianki? Pianki, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Nathan. How are you? I had a question to ask. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me, let me make this statement. Did you all hear what he said? The country is losing more to corruption than to sanctions, Bianchi. Well, Did you hear that? I heard that, but what I want him to explain, because people can right. throw out corruption as a general blanket word, mm-hmm. but you don't give no details on what that corruption actually is. Yes. That's what's needed. You know, people say, you evil, but how are you evil, and how does it affect me? So exactly, what does the corrupt- corruption look like in detail? I mean, that's what uh, people need to know. And another point, uh, Mugabe done what he done and had to do initially in his career. Mm-hmm. All you can do is open the door. If people don't come in... Well, I don't know what to say. So he made he turned the country away from where it was, but if the people, the Zimbabweans in the diaspora and so on, so on, so on, if they don't come in the door, now what do you do? And one other question real quick. You're saying Zimbabwe is open to business. In what manner is Zimbabwe open to business? Uh, you know, uh, countries in the West are starting to close its borders and start doing things within, not looking abroad for what they necessarily have to have. And how is the China Silk Road affecting Zimbabwe? Well, I'll put three, four questions out there. I know they're difficult, but Nathan can help you. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, Mr. Nathan. Yes. Hello. Uh, yeah, I can hear the question that uh, the questions that uh, the fellow gentleman is raising, and I I feel that they are very important questions. I'll start with the last question that he asked about uh, how Zimbabwe is open for business. Okay. Well, if I, I if I recall collect correctly uh, on what I said before, I didn't actually say that uh, Zimbabwe now has all the fundamentals that are, are conducive for it to say that Zimbabwe is open for business. This is what the government is campaigning for. This is what the government and most politicians are working towards, ensuring that the country becomes open for business. But I clearly highlighted that 
there are so many challenges in the economy that are making it not conducive to say Zimbabwe is open for business. Because mm. Zimbabwe cannot be because Zimbabwe cannot be open for business at a time that there is so much political violence, there is so much human rights violations. You know, uh, opposition politics in Zimbabwe has been suppressed ruthlessly, you know, in, in mm. such a way that there is always violence on, on a daily basis. There are always abductions on a daily basis. That's not something that attracts investment. It, it, actually, uh, it actually chases away investment rather than to attract it. And the other question that he raises that corruption and how does corruption affect the economy? And trying mm-hmm. to say that shouldn't just be speaking of, 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 of corruption without giving the particular details of how the corruption is affecting the economy. I'd want to say something about that and just make it clear that it's not that something that is just on the surface. There are studies that have been made by the government of Zimbabwe, by trade unions, and by independent academics. I'd like, I'd like to just uh, uh, talk of a, an interesting journal article that appeared in volume 45 of the mm. Africa Spectrum that is published by the Institute of African Affairs. And it, it is depicted upon collecting information from uh, government organizations, parliamentary portfolio committees, uh, African trade unions. And it has come to the conclusion that the country is losing more in billions than it is. This corruption happens at the highest level. It happens mm. in the corridors of government. We have politicians that embezzle government money, that embezzle government funds that are targeted towards uh, 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 developmental projects in respective constituencies and in respective provinces. I would give you the example of a recent minister that was arrested uh, and currently a trial is being withheld because they are arguing that she's not in a good mental state to uh, uh, stand in in a court of law for for prosecution. That minister is said to have embezzled over 90 million United States dollars from the government. And recently we heard that the government loses 15 billion in uh, diamond revenue that is unaccounted for. And the country, according to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee's reports tabled by uh, uh, Chairperson Tendaibit, reflects that the country has been losing something like $2 billion to corruption uh, unaccounted for. And this is what even auditor generals have uh, endorsed and supported through reports that have been presented through parliament. So it's something that is a reality. And it's self-inflicting because even if uh, we don't have sanctions, that, that problem will still continue to hold the economic development of the country. Mm. Okay. So what was the, have you addressed all the questions? I think those are that's the, the basic, the, 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 uh, Pianchi, the basic has he addressed all your questions? Well, yeah, I heard him say that this woman has embezzled $90 million. <clears throat> mm. I guess that would be Zimbabwe money equivalent to U.S. money. But where is she putting this money? It's not like it was one uh, politician in Nigeria who said this is Nigerian money, this is Nigerian house where he lived. But where is she putting this money? How are these foreign companies getting diamonds out of Nigeria? Surely they're not flying planes into the interior and flying them out. Those are the questions that those who uh, pay attention to what you're saying just don't understand. Mm. 
So when this money is embezzled, it's it's clearly embezzled for private purposes, you know, for private purposes of uh, uh, private businesses and uh, private family issues. The money is not even is not even used to uh, develop national projects or uh, things that will help put money into the hands of the people or create uh, employment for the people or something that is of beneficial to the entire society. So this is mm-hmm. why it becomes a problem. This money is supposed to be used for the good of the majority of the people. For, to give clearer context to the issue, this was national social security money, which is money that is supposed to support pensioners, you know, vulnerable people who can no longer work because they are now old and some of them are, are disabled people. So it, it's not something that is, you know, that is very good and expected of people in office. It's, it's clearly an abuse of, of office and it's unacceptable at a time that the country is trying by all means to cut back on spending, you know, to pay back debts, to recover the economy and so forth. And as well, running an economy under sanction. Corruption at such level is unacceptable. So I noted that what you are basically trying to say is that this is going on and basically if this is going on, the president is aware of it and is not doing anything about it. The president is aware of it and uh, he tries to uh, create the impression that he's doing something about it by uh, arresting these ministers and then all of a sudden they are released, you know. When, uh, the, when, when the lawyers uh, try to institute cases to say they must be prosecuted, they are corrupt, you know, mm-hmm. such, arguments, such arguments as the one that has just come recently that, no, she's mentally uh, uh, unstable and she's mentally ill, so she cannot stand a court prosecution. So these things happen. And just immediately after this, we have seen this based on the history of Zimbabwe. There are so many cabinet ministers that have been arrested and released. And the issue is just forgotten about and nothing happens to them. So it undermines the whole fundamental propriety of saying we are a government that is fighting against corruption. When there is Mm. no significant result that can be seen, that one, two, three, four things are done to address the issue and to address the problems of corruption. Okay. Uh, Let's move on here, Anotita, and talk about... Uh, why my concern is I want us to reflect on the livelihood, the social welfare of the Zimbabwean citizen, the ordinary person. Um, let's go back to that. How, why, what are the reasons the United States, if, if basically uh, you've made a statement to say that the money being lost to corruption is, is more or worse or greater than what even the sanctions are sort of uh, basically keeping away from the country, if I may use that word. So yeah, therefore, exactly. it goes to the point that if this issue of corruption is addressed, Zimbabwe basically can make some headway without uh, help from the International Monetary Fund. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, sure. And uh, let me just say something uh, before I answer your question. When Mm. I'm saying that corruption is worse than sanctions, I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. say that 
sanctions do, do not even affect the Zimbabwean economy in any way. Sanctions do affect the Zimbabwean economy in a significant way, especially the financial sector, as I've highlighted before. And corruption uh-huh. and sanctions, they are both evils of the same measure. They are evils of the same measure. But now here is the point. If a country is under sanctions, you know, and it's trying to make uh, economic and political reforms that will result in the uplifting of these sanctions, it must uh-huh. also at the very same time make significant strides and significant efforts towards lessening the levels of corruption so that it becomes conducive to do certain things that they cannot do. The country cannot be losing billions to corruption at a time that they are under sanction. And state-owned companies that employ thousands of people cannot access capital. So it's something that has to be addressed with immediate effect, or else Zimbabwe will not achieve the goal of becoming a middle-income economy by 2030. It will not achieve many of the, the goals that it says that Zimbabwe will be open for business. Corruption should be lessened because it's running an economy, running an economy under sanctions is very difficult when corruption levels continue to go high, when government spending continues to go high. It's very difficult. So what what is President Manago's position on this? When, of of course, I know certain uh, concerned parties have raised these issues with him. What, what, what is his response to this? Uh, his response to this, uh, uh, I would say his response to corruption and his response to sanctions. Uh, yes. He uh, recently, recently there was a march in Zimbabwe that was organized by the government and the Southern African Development Community in solidarity with, with Zimbabwe, which was a march mm-hmm. to protest against the United uh, States sanctions and they tried to address the, the masses in Zimbabwe and say to say, you know, sanctions are affecting the country in one, two, three, four ways. So we should collectively campaign for their complete removal because they are unfair and they are illegal and they are unjustified. And on the other hand, he has also made significant efforts to say uh, we are fighting against corruption. In Zimbabwe, there is what is called ZAC. It's a Zimbabwe anti-corruption commission that investigates issues of corruption uh, from the highest to to the lowest level. And as a result of their investigation, there there have been so many arrests made, you know, uh, uh, but but there have not been much significant results, especially the arrests of cabinet ministers. It's just like a catch and release uh, scenario in which uh, a minister mm-hmm. is, is accused, you know, in charges uh, laid against him, but nothing significantly happens to show that, you know, they are fighting against the corruption. So they are putting much deliberate effort to fighting against sanctions other than fighting against corruption because they use so much money, they use uh, so much energy to institute campaigns against sanctions, which is sort of a tiny issue that explains why the economy is not performing well. But they put less energy to issues of fighting against corruption, which starts right at the top and goes right down to the bottom. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So, Auntie, as things stand now, uh, one of the issues is the, uh, what do you call it, 
the current political atmosphere in Zimbabwe. All right? The current yes. political... You, you've already alluded to it that uh, the opposition is undermined, the, the opposition is not given an equal platform, uh, the, the, the opposition is, is basically doesn't have a voice. So the president and his leadership and uh, they are pushing for these sanctions to be lifted and yet they are not doing creating a, a conducive political atmosphere. Where do things stand on that part? Yeah, yes, you are raising a very good point. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't portray a picture that you are a reformist government that is concerned with transition to democracy and uh, uh, promote economic recovery. It actually portrays a picture that you are further entrenching the interests of the present government at the expense of violating, you know, multi-party democracy. Because the thing is, the S494 document, that is the Zibera bill, it clearly stipulates that if Zimbabwe uh, uh, provides a transition, you know, to democracy, begins to have respect for the rule of law, respect for human rights, and when these political abductions of opposition leaders stops, and, you know, an environment that, uh, 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 that is conducive for multi-party democracy is there, sanctions can be lifted. When there is media freedom, sanctions can be lifted. When there are uh, reforms that... Uh, eliminate draconian laws like IPA and POSA, sanctions can be lifted. But when they continue to do the very same thing that uh, accounts for why sanctions were put in place in the very first place, you know, it doesn't create the impression that you are willing to reform. And it is the reason why the United States keeps extending these sanctions more and more on the country. Recently, I would like to give an example of what happened uh, recently in Zimbabwe. The MBC uh, that is led by Nelson Chamisa is said to have organized something that is called uh, a Hope of the Nation address. That is something like uh -huh. uh, synonymous to a State of the Nation address that is normally given by the president. So it was supposed to happen at a, at a square gardens, you know, to accommodate uh, lots of people who are interested in listening to that. But the government uh, using police decided to respond by force, beating up people, dispersing them to attend that Hope of the Nation address. And those people had not even tend to be violent. They had not even tend to be distracting property or anything. It was just a deliberate effort that was made to undermine, you know, multi-party democracy and multi-party uh, 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 ideas to be raised, you know, and, and voiced by the opposition. So it's something that undermines the whole uh, uh, belief that we are a democratic and constitutional democratic country that respects the rule of law and human rights. So basically, you tend to get the impression that uh, Mananda Gua's administration hasn't sort of... I, I want us to be fair to him here as I make this statement. So basically, okay. we, are, we, <laughs> we are saying that he hasn't really brought about any meaningful change. Would that be a fair statement, or we should qualify it? That's very true. No meaningful development, you know, to provide for a transition to democracy and promote economic recovery. Mm.
Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, Anotida, we are continuing yes. our discussion here. And l- l- let's zero into uh, the African president's involvement in terms of involvement at the UN General Assembly, uh, in terms of their, their, really their impact of being there, the, the economic cost to the nation or to the treasuries of the respective countries. Since we are talking about Zimbabwe here, let's talk about Malayangwa attended the, general, the last UN General Assembly in September. Um, yeah, sure. What, 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 what was you and I, you, you shared with me some things, what happened when you showed up at that meeting? Can you just share it with uh, our listening audience? He showed up, and I don't know if you know how big his delegation was, and uh, what was his message to the UN? Well, his message was uh, his uh, uh, conventional rhetoric that, uh, you know, Zimbabwe is open for business. Zimbabwe is putting place reforms to uh, provide a transition to democracy. We are now a new dispensation and so forth. Those were the issues that uh, he raised. And he also raised issues of uh, uh, the sanctions saying, you know, the United States should uplift uh, the sanctions that it imposed against Zimbabwe. But the most surprising and boring thing about that address was that it was poorly attended. Not, mm. not, not, only by, not only by Western presidents and Western diplomats, but even African presidents and their secretaries. They didn't attend, you know, uh, the speech made by President Mnangagwa at the UN General Assembly. And it's so sad because it, it, it creates the impression that nobody is interested in listening to the situation of Zimbabwe. And why? Because uh, they don't... So it, it creates the impression that People are not impressed by what is happening in Zimbabwe. So it portrays the picture that the leadership has not been accepted by the international community. Because if it was accepted, many people would be attending it. Uh, Paul uh, uh, Kagame should have been there. Uh, Siri Ramaphosa and uh, South African counterparts and diplomats should have been there. Many of Uh the African presidents. They have been there listening to their fellow African presidents uh, presenting grievances affecting Zimbabwe and how he thinks that uh, Zimbabwe plays a role in uh, the global economy. But it was not happening, and it, it portrays the picture that it's a leadership that has not been accepted, not only by some uh, people in Zimbabwe, but also by the international community. Mm, excellent. So... <laughs> Basically, he, 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 it's like even if these guys come to these meetings, their impact is, uh, um, you know, is sort of not even there. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody here, Pianki, uh, Noah, help me out here. Maybe I'm just, uh, Matilda, I don't know if you're able to speak. Uh, Dr. Monsanje, good morning, Dr. Patrick. We're talking about Zimbabwe here, and uh, I'm raising this point about African leaders' presence at the United Nations. I, I don't know. It's, uh, should we be sending foreign ministers? Uh, Nathan, I have a few minutes before I get to work. I'm actually driving, but I do want, I, I enjoyed the, your guest. Thank you for bringing him on today. 
he raised a lot of points, and some of the questions Priyanki asked, I think, mm-hmm. can also apply to Zambia. Now, with our ministers, the only thing that I can say, most of our ministers are recycled. Part, the same people just going to different parties. Yes. That's where my concern is. We need to raise up new leaders, either people in our generation, your generation, my generation. If we have failed to do that, let's mm. be brave enough and accept the younger ones behind us who are making sense and who are showing the leadership qualities. But uh, most of the ministers we have are recycled. We are not seeing a difference, you know. And when they go, when they are campaigning, personally, I have not heard anyone campaign something that is showing a future rather than just mudslinging the other party or the other candidate. So the points are good, but do we have the right people in place to follow up on the things that our brother has raised. And that's for Zimbabwe, the same applies for Zambia. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Somebody else before Anoti that response to that? Nobody else or something. Anoti, did you hear what, uh, what you call it? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Matilda said, would you like to make a comment on that? Yes, I've just heard what uh, uh, she said, and uh, I do agree with uh, his uh, her view about about Africa and its leaders, and it's uh-huh. something that we we have to collectively, you know, fight to address so that uh, uh, we get uh, uh, better leadership that is concerned with addressing national issues. Uh-huh. And I just want to say something about. Uh, leaders of the African Union and leaders of the Southern African Development Community. I noticed from uh, the studies that has been made, uh, you know, about the re- regional integration in in Africa and in in some other sub-regions that most of these leaders, Mr. Nathan, they are mm-hmm. entangled in an intricate network of patronage, and oh. it's a problem because it's a problem because they don't want to address the elephant in the room just because of uh, fellow uh, respect, political uh, respect that is based on patronage and network of their other fellow presidents. You know, presidents like Cyril Ramaphosa should be uh, uh, outrightly saying to the situation in Zimbabwe that it's unacceptable, something must be done. We can't behave in a situation like this. When the government institutes protest against sanctions and tries to uh, uh, invite fellow Sadak leaders to participate in it, presidents like him should be saying that, no, what's the biggest problem affecting the Zimbabwean economy? That thing should be addressed. Let's collectively speak against uh, repression, you know, and brutalization and political violence that is happening in Zimbabwe. We should be having leaders like uh, uh, Paul Kagame saying to uh, presidents like President Mnangagwa that one, two, three, four is not good with your economy. You should address mm-hmm. it. Unless you address it, we cannot relate with you. But because somehow they are entangled in this intricate network of patronage, they, they just turn a blind eye to what's happening to a fellow African country. And it actually manifests when they go to international platforms like the United Nations. 
they don't uh, wait to listen their fellow presidents addressing because they are sh- they will be shy to listen to the speech because they know it's not accepted by the international community provided the reports that go around the world. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm telling you, <laughs> wow, amazing. Um, <laughs> what what do you think is the way forward for us to as we conclude here and? Uh, for those listening, we're getting ready to go to Lusaka. Chitimwewa will be joining us to share some things about the damage that happened at the market in Lusaka, the Keep Lusaka Clean project and all that. We're supposed to be having our political leaders here, but they are all scared to come. I don't know what the issue is. What's the way forward, my brother? How do we make a difference in our Africa? Well, uh, this is what I think. I'll just speak, speak for, for Zimbabwe and then speak for the entire continent. You know, beginning uh-huh. with the Zimbabwean crisis, you know, it's a crisis that has been there for so many decades and, you know, uh, so much time. And the problems are largely political and then they uh, end up spilling off and manifesting in the form of poor economic growth. But I think that we, the current state in Zimbabwe requires the government to uh, implement four important policies that can bring mm-hmm. about the foreign direct investments that, that they are envisage and for it to be open for business. I, I don't actually agree with the transitional stabilization program and the austerity measures. I actually believe that the country should lower its taxes, number one. Lower taxes? lower taxes because if you lower your taxes especially corporate uh, taxes and taxes on uh, high income people and business people you you provide room for them to invest their profits into more businesses thereby creating the employment that is a challenge to most Zimbabweans 90, 90% of Zimbabweans are unemployed so the moment you lower wow. your taxes you attract that investment they invest you they create employment and your people get jobs and they get money. The government yeah. should also cut back on recurrent expenditure as well as re- reduce uh, government budget deficits. Because what that, that does, it, it enables the government to balance the budget, you know, mm-hmm. and not, uh, and not uh, run very large deficits that are detrimental, you know, to the performance of an economy in, in the long run. So apart from these economic policies, they should also address issues of political violence, issues of human rights violations. They should yes. just open up the media space. They should just uh, stop the political violence against the opposition, you know, because if a government delivers on the economic realm, it doesn't have anything to fear on the political one. That's true. That's yeah. very and true. On the, wow. uh, uh, as, a, as a continent, I also think that uh, we should embrace a regional economic integration, you know, uh, uh, and promote uh, trade between uh, African countries. You know, we, we shouldn't be having a situation whereby uh, uh, countries in Africa import oil from Saudi Arabia other than importing it from Nigeria. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't be having uh... such a situation. We should be promoting each other import from a fellow African country so that we promote trade amongst ourselves, we promote regional integration amongst ourselves, and let uh, the, the politicians work towards providing for a transition to democracy and promote economic recovery. 
Interesting. Wow. Uh, Notida, thank you so much. And uh, please, uh, if you are if you are free, you don't have anything to do. You can stay with us. We'll be talking to a colleague from Zambia, and uh, we, we shall be talking about things happening there. Everybody coming up is Mr. Chitambala Mwewa. We all know Chiti as uh, he's going to keep Lusaka clean project, but he's going to be talking about the disaster that happened at the market in Lusaka and sharing some thoughts with us. And uh, let's just take a short break here. Mr. Chitambala is already called in from Lusaka. And everybody, please uh, stay here and let's enjoy this discussion. Anotida, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Mr. Nkama. Like give me love, oh. Now you the catch my shot. Oh. For your sake, I go go touch. Oh. Hey. We go drive around if I'm my Porsche. Oh. Baby, pana, they say he like you all. I get you all. Baby, pana, anywhere that you go, I go follow you the go. Baby, pana, they say he like cassava. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, Zambia. Good evening, uh, Western uh, Australia and the Pacific world. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Zambia Block Talk Radio, December the 14th. Compliments of the season, everybody, from wherever you are listening to us from. And we do appreciate you joining us and taking the time. Uh, one of our favorite guests on this show is uh, Mr. Chitambala Mwewa. He is the, he, he, he is involved in a lot of things. Uh, he's basically known for the project I Dream of a Lusaka, a Clean Lusaka. And uh, I have him today uh, on one specific issue, but we'll talk about a lot, a number of issues. Uh, an incident happened at the market, at the main market in Lusaka. He's going to tell us the name of that market. A wind blew through. A lot of you might have seen that on uh, social media. And uh, things fell apart, and he was almost marked by a group of cadres and people like that. Uh, Mr. Chitambala Mwewa is joining us from Lusaka. Uh, good afternoon, my brother. Thank you for joining us. Brother Nathan, thank you so much for having me. It's always wonderful to talk with you. <laughs> it's always a joy also to have you with us. You are always bringing us some breaking news. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I, want you to put, <laughs> I want you to put things in perspective here. Was the name of the organization I mentioned, I Dream of a Clean Lusaka, is that right? Yes, I Dream of a Clean Lusaka. I Dream and, of a uh, Clean Lusaka. What, Tell us yes, how things are going with that project and what is going on. Well, it's, it's a sort of two steps forward and ten steps backwards. Um, <laughs> you know, as you know, uh, a few, few years ago, about three years ago now, we're going on to three years now, yes. uh, the president rightly, rightly uh, launched a new campaign called the Make Zambia Clean, Green, and Healthy campaign. Now, it's very important to understand that this is very different from keep the, 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 from, from the 
previous campaign, which was called Keep Zambia Clean, because the architects of the new campaign realized that the wording had to be accurate. And they deduced that you cannot, you cannot keep something clean if it's not clean in the first place. So the idea is to, first of all, make it clean, and then you can subsequently keep it clean. So, so the stage that we're in right now, we're still locked as a, as a Zambian people. We're still locked into this uh, time warp where we, we still don't know how to throw things in the bin. If we can get there, if we can do that one thing, as mundane, as, as insignificant as it may sound to you, Nathan, over there in the great United States of America, where uh-huh. everybody does it without even thinking about it. Well, not everybody. Most people do it. You know, you, Most people throw stuff in the bin uh, without even really thinking about it. But in Zambia, you have to make a mental note to throw something in the bin because the natural thing to do is to just throw it on the ground. And so oh. to answer your question, we're still in the, in the infancy stage of trying to make Zambia clean, green, and healthy. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's, that's well put, my brother. So a few days ago, I don't know exactly whether it's two or three. A storm swept through three days now. the start. How many days? Three days ago now. Today's the third day. Three days ago. Three days ago now, okay? Yes. A storm swept through Lusaka, I presume. And tell us what, at what market did this happen? Uh, something, property was destroyed, and there was a damage caused at the market. Uh, create that picture to people listening. Sure. Uh, three days ago, we had a storm, a storm like uh, like we've really never had before. I mean, I've, I've mm. been in the central business district for 31 years. I've worked here for 31 years. We've had many storms over the years, but not quite like this one. This one was very tempestuous. Now, the market is located on the famous Lumumba Road, which is a very busy road within the central business district of the capital city of Lusaka. It's called City Market, and City Market is the biggest, the the most populated market in the central business district, in the CBD, in Lusaka. And, And when this storm swept through Lusaka, a few days ago, I actually said, it was a hurricane-like storm. Now, of course, in Zambia, we do not ha- have hurricanes. You guys have hurricanes over there. But over here, we don't have hurricanes. <laughs> but the, the, the storm was so tempestuous, it was a hurricane-like storm. Now, the, there are two main shelters within the market. And we've just, a few days ago, there was an engineer that did a, a report uh, he did a, an, an architectural analysis of the collapsed shelters. And he, yes. you, he concluded that the reason those two shelters came down is because the city market had allowed a billboard company to erect and install billboards attached to, 
to those shelters. Now, the original design of the shelters, the shelters were designed in such a way that regardless of where the wind was coming from, you know, the wind would go in, up, and out on the other side, uninhibited, unblocked, unfettered. But, but when they installed the billboard, what that wow. did, in a sense, was it created a wall. So the, 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 the wind could uh-huh. not escape. It, okay. it had no choice but to push whatever was there uh, out of the way. And consequently, as, as a direct consequence of that, both shelters came down because both shelters had uh, huge big billboards uh, attached to them. And that was the cause of, of the collapse of the shelters. Now, Brother Nathan, it's very important for me to tell you that as tragic and as unfortunate as that was, I am pleased to tell you that not one single person was injured. Not mm. one per- there was no there was there were no fatalities. Nobody was injured. The only thing that was done was uh, there was some damage done to some of the buses that were parked underneath the canopy, the, uh, underneath okay. the shelter. The shelter literally collapsed on top of a line of buses, about 15, 20 buses that were damaged. But thankfully, no one was hurt. No one was killed. Excellent. Excellent. So is that architectural anomaly or error going to be co- corrected? Because you are saying if that wall wasn't where it is, that wouldn't have happened. The wind would have simply passed through. Is that going to be corrected? I, I, I want to believe that it will. I want to believe that the authorities now recognize. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was folly. It was folly on the part of uh, City Market to allow those billboards to be installed without proper you know, uh, uh, investigation and without proper authorization. I think they just went ahead and did it. As a, as a way of, uh, you know, generating a, a, an income, a revenue, but they did it at great cost to the city, to, to not only to the city, but to the market, okay? Mm-hmm. And my, so to answer your question, I want to believe that the government is going to move swiftly to correct that anomaly and to make sure that whatever they put up there, we still don't know what they're going to do, but I imagine they will fix the problem, and when they fix it, they will not repeat they will not allow that to be repeated. They will not allow a situation where uh, billboards are installed, where, where they are not supposed to be. Okay. So this thing happens, and you are swiftly on the scene. How far are you away from the market, and uh, how did you hear about that thing falling apart, the, the billboards falling? You were almost like instantly on the scene. Yes. Well, my, my building, Simonson building, is yeah. directly opposite uh, okay. City Market. I mean, City Market are literally, they're my neighbors. And uh, incidentally, and I'm glad you asked me that question, uh, I'm all, when, I'm a, when I'm working, I'm always here in the office. I, I come here at 7.30, I leave at 18.30, and I'm always here. But that particular day, I had been invited to, to be a part of a, a group of, I guess, celebrities, uh, Trade Kings, one of the biggest, there's a big company here called Trade Kings. They do all kinds of stuff, detergent, drinks and all. They had yes. invited us to, to a, a launch of one of their new products. So I was at that event 
which is you know quite a ways from me. It's about 35, 40 minutes away. And uh, as soon as the, the shelter came down, uh, someone yeah. from my office informed me that uh, there's been an accident. And so I rushed, I left that function. On, and on my way back here to, to my office, which is directly off of the city market, I actually called the manager of the market, who happens to be a very good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 I told him, I said, look, what's happening? And he told me, he says, well, the shelters have come down. Uh, please come quickly. Because uh, and, and I, I asked him, I said, can I come and take some footage and videos? He said, sure, please do it, you know, so that you can inform Zambians who are living in the diaspora, you know, so that they know what's going on. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I called the, le- the, the mayor, the Lusaka mayor, Mr. Miles Sampa, his worship, the uh-huh. mayor Miles Sampa. And, and by the time I called him, he, he had already caught wind of the tragedy. He said, and as, as soon as he picked up my phone, he said, well, where are you? Go over there and find out what's going on over there. Take some videos and send them to me so that, you know, I see what's going on. And then the mayor says to me, he says, well, I can't be in two places at one time. I'm very busy here, so you go over there and, and, uh, <laughs> and take some footage. So, okay. And I did. And, and I, I got there, and I did, yeah. Okay. So it brings us to this point about the video clip that you produced. You were almost manhandled by the cutters in the market if it was not for the police? What happened? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the way things work in Zambia, uh, when there's a tragedy, unfortunately, mm-hmm. when there's a calamity like that, and anytime you're dealing with goods, and meal, meal, biscuits, cookies, all kinds of, you know, food, goods, and there's a, a calamity. What Mm -hmm. tends to happen is that people rush there so that they can pillage, so that they can loot, so that they can, you know, strip the market of whatever's left, you know, in the wake of the tragedy. So we had a a group of guys who don't even work in the market. These guys are from Chivolia and all kinds of, you know, unscrupulous places. They came Mm -hmm. into the market and they found me. They found me videographing videos. I was taking videos and I was interviewing the marketeers who were there when that when the when the, the shelters collapsed. I was asking them, "What did you see? Where were you?" and so on. And in the middle of my interview, a, a bunch of guys, about ten of them, surrounded me, and they start asking me, interrogating me. Well, what are you doing? And I said, "Well, you can see what I'm doing." I'm videographing, and right now I'm live on Facebook. And then they say, well, you know, because they do this thing where they try and turn everything into a political situation. You know, they start saying, well, you're part of the opposition. So I looked at them and I said, what part are you talking about? Because I am nonpartisan, I am pro-Zambian, and I support the government of the day because I'm a businessman. There's nothing political about what I do, you know. Oh, Brother Nathan, it turned into a, a big issue. They started pushing me around, and then they started punching me in the chest while mm. I was recording. You know, and, and they, they eject, initially, initially, they ejected me from the market premises. But I they went did? straight back in there. Yes, they initially ejected me out. It, it, there's, there's, there's an exit point where they pushed me out. But I, if you watch the video, I immediately walked back in 
yes. because there were a few officers standing there. And my my thought was, you know, there are officers around, and you know, there's there uniformed men around. They'll protect me. So as soon as I walked back in, you know, one of the officers said to the the, the leader of the group, he said, "Look, just leave him alone. He's just videographing. He's just videotaping." You know, but it still continued, the, the insults, the hurling of insults and threats. And then finally, if you watch the video, finally, the, um, the, 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 the manager of the market showed up. Yes. And he was trying to calm me down and say, look, don't, don't pay any attention to these, these hooligans. Don't pay any attention to these jamokes, these vagabonds, these <laughs> 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 He said, so he says to me, he says, you just, you do your thing, okay, you do you, and, and they'll do them, you know. So, so finally, you know, I, I went ahead and I video, but I still videotaped under a lot of duress, I have to tell you, because the entire I, I, time. I, I, w- that w- I one was, can tell from the tone of your voice that you are really trying to do your best to be calm, to be, and, and yet there was some adrenaline in your voice. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, Brother Nathan, the truth is, I mean, if you really look, even themselves, when they really examine, why were they stopping me to do that? If you ask them that, they wouldn't give you a proper answer. They wouldn't. I mean, what was the reason? What was the line of logic of saying that mm. video, videotape? Because all I was doing is giving firsthand information on Facebook Live and giving information to people who do not, number one, live in Lusaka, people who, who, who live in the diaspora, Zambians who are concerned about that, and who want to see firsthand what really is going on. That's, yes. all, that's all I was there to do. But, but they twisted it. They twisted it. And then later, Brother Nathan, I have to tell you this, that I discovered why they, they were so adamant that I stopped videotaping because, and this is the truth, this is not a secret. Uh-huh. They, the reason they don't want, they didn't want cameras on on site, was because they were planning on stealing the raw material, the um, the, uh, the material, the, okay. from the wreckage. Yes, because the steel, as you may know, the steel from those shelters very valuable, extremely valuable. Yes, it so is. That, it, is was, it is. It is valuable. Yeah, that, that was, so, that, yeah, that was the line of logic behind that. Mm. Because my understanding from what you have said is that the mayor asked you to go and get footage of this damage, right? Oh, absolutely. 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 That's mm. what he, he told me. You know, and, and he, was, he was very clear about it. He said, look, uh, you know, he was – because, you know, the mayor – and I laugh every time I think about it because it was so funny. He said, well, I can't be at two places at one time. Okay, mm. I'm over. I'm o- I'm over on the other side of town. I'm attending a function. I can't be there, but you're there. So you do what you need to do, and then send me the footage. Mm. Interesting. So talk about the general operations and the standards in at Lusaka City Market. How are things going there? Uh, by the way, for the information of everybody, this is the market that was gutted by fire, right? Yes, yes, about two years ago. About two years ago. What is the state of the portion yes. of the market that was gutted by fire? Have repairs been done? How are things going on at Osaka City Market? 
I'll be very honest with you, Brother Nathan. We're all in the dark about that. But I can tell you in terms of the state of the, 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 the portion that was burnt, it's exactly the same as it was when it was first burnt. Exactly the mm. same. Now, the authorities, uh, of course, I don't work for the government, so I, I can't make a, 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 a statement because, no. you know, I wouldn't do that. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not in a position to do that, you know. But the government has been the authority, the local authority, uh, has been mute on the, the development of or the fixing up of the market of Osaka uh, uh, city market. They've been mm-hmm. largely mute on that, yes. So we don't know. And, and if you walk through the market and you, you interview the women who trade under the portion that has no shelter. That's the number yes. one thing they complain about. The number one issue they complain about is, please, could you, could you please tell the local authority to come and fix the roof because we are exposed to the elements, rain, mm. the scalding heat, you know, and, and, and that's their number one complaint. And so to answer your question, uh, the local authority, by and large, is mute on that. So we don't know. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, you guys here listening, those of you that are on the, on the what, online, and uh, those that are listening, uh, Dr. Patrick, you know we've had this gentleman on this show before. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, these are friends of Zambia Block Talk Radio. Whenever we call upon them, they... They come quickly. I close you the high Noel. Hi Nathan. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Good morning. We have Mr. Chitambala here. Any questions? Something you wanna know something going on at City Market or in the city of Lusaka? I dream of a clean Lusaka. Well, for me, just keep bringing the news to us, please. Thank you for everything that you do. Oh, thank you so much. So kind of you to say. I'm encouraged to hear that. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, uh, unfortunately, I just joined in a few minutes ago, so uh, so I'll listen a little more, and I'm sure I'll have a question or two in in in, in the next couple of minutes. But right now, I yes. just joined in, so I'll I'll listen for now. Thanks, Nathan. That's and thanks, Mr. Excellent. Tabala. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, now, I am well, right, Nathan, are those yes? Are those Zambians living over there in the United States? Yes. These are the ones who oh, clean okay. toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, Nathan. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's below the belt right there, brother. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know you're joking when you say I know who you're quoting when you say that. But I know you're joking when you say that. But I know who you're quoting <laughs> I know, I know. You, you, you know I just had to throw that in. You know I just had to I, throw I that in. I know. Hey, I know. Now, oh, I now, know now, now, now that you say it, I think I do have a question now. All right. My, 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 my question is, uh, is about markets in, in, in general. Uh, according to, to what I have seen in the last couple of years, they have been a, a, quite a number of markets in, in the Osaka and the Copper Belt that have burnt down, not only the city, the city market. Now, is the government 
also doing nothing with the other markets, with, with, with the other markets that were burnt down or, or gutted down, or is this only the one in Osaka that's not been that's that's not been taken care of? So you're saying is the government what? What are you asking? Is the government fixing the other markets as well? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, is the government fixing the other markets that have been also gathered uh, down, burnt down? Well, well, first of all, let me say I do not work for the government, and so I wouldn't I wouldn't be in a position to speak on their behalf, and, and I don't know what happens in the other markets. I only okay. know about the markets within my vicinity, Lusaka, but I can tell you that Hitty Market has not been fixed since this was burnt down two years ago. And I, and I can't speak for the other cities in the Copper Belt because, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't live there and I don't know anything about them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, Thank excellent. you. Stambala, you told me that uh, they are building another market. Can you talk about that? Um... Sure. Sure. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> they... Okay, so, so this is what happened. Let me bring up the speed. Two years ago, when City Market burnt down, the yeah. government decided to build a new market, which is located yeah. on. Are you ready for this? I hope you're sitting down ah. for this. It's located on <laughs> Simon Wewa Lane, which is named after my dad. Hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a street street named after my dad called Simon Wewa Lane, and the market. Is, is, is also named after my dad. It's called Simon okay. Wewa Market. Yeah. Wow. And, that, and, that's and it's, cool. It's about, yeah, it's about 80% done. It's not done uh, all the way. It's about 80% done. They tell us, and please don't quote me on this. I'm just telling you what I hear. So I hear and then I tell you. They tell us within the, the course of mid-next year, yeah. mid-2020, as we approach mid to, to, to latter portion of 2020, the market, mm. Simon Ware market, will be open. So the idea, oh, wow. okay, mm-hmm. the, the, the information we have on the ground is that uh, once Simon Ware market is complete, mm-hmm. the people in City Market will, will go into Simon Ware market, and then City Market will be renovated. But I can tell you uh, right off the bat, Nathan, the sheer number of people in City Market cannot fit into Simon Moyer Market. Simon Moyer Market is big, but it's not as big as City Market. Okay, okay. So, just right there, right there. So, how will a market which is not the same size as the one that needs to be renovated accommodate that population, the business, the traders? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, not everyone can, from City Market can fit in Simon Moore Market. But there are other markets. Mm. For example, there's a new BH Market uh, that's been built near, behind the Soweto area. That's a huge, big market. That one is complete. A lot of people uh, have chosen not to trade in the market. They've opted to go onto the streets. So, consequently, even the new BH Market is virtually empty. It's occupied to some extent, but it's not fully occupied, you know, because our people, uh, this is the reason we've got this problem. Uh, we've got a street vending problem. You know, most mm-hmm. of our people, they choose, they choose, they choose 
to trade on the street because in their mind uh, they feel uh, that they have they have easier access to foot traffic, therefore okay. they make more money that way. But but if 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 the local authority was strict, if they were very strict, which two years ago they were. Remember when the cholera outbreak when we had that cholera outbreak. Yes. Brother Nathan, everybody, all the street vendors were removed from the streets in one fell swoop, completely removed, and they were pushed into the market. You know, if, if that could be attained and maintained, mm-hmm. we would have a cleaner city. Yeah, because our, city, our streets, uh, Nathan, are not designed for street vendors. Our streets are designed for pedestrians and motorists. Yes. The markets are designed for, for, for trading. Mm. Mm. So from what you are yeah. telling me or from what you are saying here, it, it, it sounds like, <laughs> like we, we have, uh, what do you call it? The people have gone back onto the streets. Okay, what, let, me, let me give you a clear picture of what's happening now. Uh, well, first of all, let me backtrack a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. A month ago, the mayor uh, 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 designated two streets. Because you see, the law says this. The law says street vending is illegal. But, yes. if, the lo- but if the local authority designates a street, in other words, if a local authority stands up and says, okay... <laughs> Uh, this street right here, you can trade on this street. When the local authority says that, yes, it, it, it means street vending is not illegal on that street. It's illegal anywhere else, but not on the designated street. So, so what the mayor did was that he designated two streets for street vending. The first one. Mm. Simon Wewa, Simon Wewa Lane, okay? okay, and then the, 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 other, the other one is Lumumba Road. Now, let me tell you what's happening right now as we speak, especially in the wake of this recent uh, calamity within City Market. Because, you know, uh, most of the marketeers who used to operate and trade from underneath those shelters are basically displaced. So guess mm-hmm. what they're doing now? Guess where they're going? Ah. Onto the street. <coughs> so, so, so the, the 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 marketeers who were trading in the market underneath the shelter, little by mm. little, they're they're complaining. They're saying, "Well, you know, we can't operate in in a in a shelterless market while they, you know, while they they're constructing or dismantling the the, the collapse." And in the meantime. We need to feed our families because, as you know, Nathan, uh, the business of trading on the street is a day-by-day business. You, you only eat when you sell on that day. So if you don't sell on that day, Nathan, uh-huh. guess what that means? It means you're not going to eat on that day. Yeah. 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 So, so the idea for them, their position is, since the shelters have collapsed, we have no choice but to go back onto the street. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword there. 
And it seems to be a very sensitive issue when politically, so to speak, my brother. What, what is so difficult about this? Okay, here's the thing. Uh, believe this or not, and I'm so glad you asked that question, Nathan. You know, mm. it took me a long time, many, many years, to understand the psyche of why street vending is so political. And here's the answer to that. You see, there, there is this smoke screen. It's a smoke screen. It's not real. It's like a phantom. The, our street vendors have somehow convinced the leadership that, number one, the markets don't have enough space. There's not enough room in the markets. And secondly, they don't make as much money in the market. And so they, they sort of appeal and cry to the local authorities that, look, we're not making anything in the markets. We need to go on the street. So the local authority, when they, when they allow them to go on the street, what that does is it disenfranchises uh-huh. the marketeers who operate in the market and who want yes. to follow the rules. So they, the ones in the market will say, well, you know, my friends have gone to the street and I'm sitting here in the market. My friend in the street is making three, four times more than I am, but I'm sitting in the market. So because, because of that, I'm going to leave the market now, and I'm going to join my friend on the, onto the street. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. So because now, the, the other thing I noticed here in my brother, Vachitambala, is that there seems to be a higher level of competition in the market than on the streets. Yes. Yes. But, but, but can I tell you, though, Nathan, if, if the local authority was strict and yes. literally stuck to the letter of the law and said, you know, go back to the market, we don't care about, this, about what you think. Just go back into the market. If every single trader traded in the market, I'm telling you, everyone wins. Everybody wins. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> But because mm. you've got a portion of people who, who decide that, no, I want to trade on, to, on the street. And then also, Nathan, I have to explain this to you. The, other, the flip side to that is when traders trade on the market, and this is very important yes. for you to get, it plays perfectly into the hands of the Kadas. Because you see, mm. a Kada that is dealing with a marketeer on the street simply means money for the Kada because it, it, it then gives the Kada a revenue stream. So here's the thing. It is in the interest of the Kada mm. street vending mm. thrives because when street vending thrives, it serves the interest of the Kada because the Kada then has access to to, to, to the money from the, from the street vendor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and here, here's how it works. I, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even quantify it for you because I know the figures. You know, yes. if a woman, a, woman, a woman who's left the market can never go onto the street and just decide to trade. It's impossible. You go to the street, you have to see so-and-so, some big fish somewhere, some big cutter fish, and he'll say to you, okay, you want to trade here? Uh-huh. You want to trade here? You have to give uh-huh. me so much money. So the marketeer parts away with you know, a certain amount of money, and it's different for everybody. Some people, they pay 1000 others 
1,005, some even upwards of 2,000. So the lady gets to trade onto the street, but she's the, she has parted with some oh. money to, to be allowed to trade onto the street. So when the government, when the government banned street vending and mm. they instructed all the traders to go back into the market, guess who was, who was affected? The cutters. It was the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah the cutters were affected because, in effect, the government said all the marketeers go back into the market. So it meant that the cutters no longer had a revenue stream. Of course. Of course. That's where we are. So how did they start trickling back? How did they start trickling back? Well, Hmm? I'll tell you exactly how they did that. The moment moment the the two streets were designated, the Simon Moyer Market, and Lumumba, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Simon Wewa Lane and Lumumba Road Market. And you see, the, the initial agreement, okay, the initial agreement was traders could only trade from 1,600 hours in the mm. afternoon, late afternoon, until 20 hours. That was the agreement. The agreement was the local authority told the traders, if you want, you, you, you are allowed to trade on, to, on these two streets, <coughs> On condition, on condition that you begin to trade at 16 hours in the evening and you end at 21 hours. Well, guess what happened? The traders, they, they only did that for one day. The next day, they started showing up at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're back to square one. <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's something. It's, it, it really... And, and, and Nathan, let me say this, and let me say mm. this emphatically, very clearly. The only solution, the only solution to this debacle that we're in right now mm-hmm. is to have every single trader go back to the market. The only way that we can have a clean city, a clean country, is for every street vendor to go back into the market because the truth is Nathan you cannot talk about having a clean city without dealing with the street vendor issue the street vending and filth on the street are, are used interchangeably if you're mm. going to talk about filth talk about street vending because the street vendor that's the gateway to cholera because our street vendors have no access to clean running water on the, on, on, on the street. They are exposed to the elements. And most importantly, Nathan, they mm. don't have access to, uh, to a functional toilet. So where do you think wow. they relieve themselves? They oh, re- the street goodness. vendor relieves himself in a makeshift uh, uh, container which they throw in the drainage system that's usually located behind them. When the rain comes and floods, guess what? Cholera rises again. Mm. So the only answer is for, for vendors, traders, to trade in the market. In the market, Nathan, the, vent, the trader has access to clean running water. In yes. the market, 
The trader has access to, to a toilet. In the market, the trader has, has, has shelter, protection from the elements. Mm. 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 Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, I'm talking about the new market and the rentals. Does this, the council charge the same amount for the market that is behind and the market that's in the front? Because definitely, oh, I didn't that's... even know there was a new market, and I don't see myself walking all the way to the back when I can shop from the front and go home. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad you asked me that question. That's a very important question, and the answer will shock you, and you better be sitting down for this one. I'm laying down. <laughs> do you realize? <laughs> do you realize? Do you know how much it costs to, to trade in the market as a trader? Okay, and keep in mind that all markets belong to the government. They are government, those are government properties. Okay, and they're heavily, heavily subsidized. Three quacha per day. That's all they pay. Ninety quacha per month. Yes. Ninety quacha oh. per month. Not ninety thousand. Ninety quacha. <laughs> Nine zero quacha. Per month, so so you can so you you see. Let me and let me tell you the rationale behind that. You know, the government wants to heavily subsidize mm-hmm. the cost of operating in the market because the government knows that most of our women, most of our traders, they couldn't afford uh, mm-hmm. the market, you know, rates. They couldn't afford it. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, though, Nathan. I'll be honest with you. The way Mm -hmm. the markets are run right now, the only solution is to, in my view, of course, the government disagrees with this. Local authority will tell you, no, we're not going to do that. I wish the markets could be privatized. You privatize them. They should be owned by by companies, individuals, so that the the delivery, the, the, the delivery of services, you know, is there. Because right now it's not there, you know. Number one. Number two, ideally, because these are government-owned uh, properties, the revenue from the market should go to the local authority. But that's not happening. It's not. It's not happening. So how, how then, uh, Nathan, it's like it's, it's the same as you, Nathan. You build a mm. house. You build a house, and a tenant goes into the house, but you, the owner of the house, you don't get the money. Guess who gets the money? The man that you place in the market as, as the overseer. Wow. That's not right. That's not right. So how do, what, how do they account for that money? They don't. And, and, and I'm saying this because, <laughs> and, and let, me tell you, let, me tell you, let me tell you why I'm saying that. I'm echoing the mayor, if you follow the mayor's statements, you remember uh, two, three weeks ago, there was a directive that came from local government and housing, the Ministry of Local Government and Housing, directing Lusaka City Council, the markets should not be controlled by Kadash. The markets should be controlled by the council. The revenue realized 
from the market should go to the local authority. Now right. that has been met with a lot of op- that has been met with a lot of opposition in terms of you know getting that done. There are people from within the system that don't want that to happen. You know, so to answer your question, uh, my dear, when you say how do they account for that money, the answer right now is they don't. That's the reason the government is trying to change the way it's done right now. The government wants to move in, uh, send in uh, 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 Lusaka City Council employees who are in charge of collecting that money and then turning around and, and channeling it to Lusaka City Council. But in the past, that, that was not happening. It doesn't actually make sense. I don't understand no. how... <laughs> The government cannot yeah. just do what you're supposed to do because that's a government market. And they have given yes. so much power to the cadres. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and also, in addition to that, my dear, if you look at the cost of what it takes to build a market, I mean, this, was, this city market was built in 1994-95 by Zambia National Service uh, in conjunction with an Israeli company. Millions of kwacha spent. But now, wow. once the market is open and it's supposed to generate an income, it's not generated. And if it is generated, it's not channeled to the proper, uh, uh, you know, authority, you know, which is a mess. But they're trying to change that. That, that. What I'm giving you now was a directive that came about two, three weeks ago because local government, they recognized that these markets make colossal sums of money. I mean, just to give you an example, I, I don't know if you guys know this. In addition to the three kwacha per person per day, and there are thousands uh-huh. of people in the market. I mean, three kwacha sounds insignificant, but I'm telling you, it adds up when you multiply it by the thousand per day. That's just, just, that's just the rentals from the marketeers. Mm-hmm. The buses. Do you know how much money a bus pays to just enter the market? Mm-hmm. About 20 kwacha per entry. And there per are entry, thousands not, not per buses. day. Yes. No, wow. per entry. To, to, to go in there, you pay every time the bus goes in there. And there are thousands of buses that go in there. They start oh, as early as 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay? 6 o'clock in the morning until late. 18, 19, 20 hours. Now, how much mm. money is that? Wow. Mm. Okay. I think we okay, have a question mind. from 202. Area code 202 Yeah. So, um, when we talk about... Good morning, sir. How are you? Do good. Please introduce Hello yourself there. to Chitambal. Stamba, this is Dr. Gasosa in Washington. Hello, how are you? How's Washington today? I'm fine. Uh, it's uh, kind of cold, so uh, but we are fine and getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> okay, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, you know, I have been listening from the beginning how you um, uh, explained the the, um, the inner workings of the market and the problem of street vending in Lusaka and how it contributes to uh, diseases and lack of sanity, sanitation. Uh, but, you know, and then you propose that the only solution is to push the uh, sellers uh, back into the market. Uh, 
But I also see a downside to that, and the downside is that um, on the streets, they have direct interface with customers because people walk around everywhere and buy uh, whenever they can purchase. It's a much easier free atmosphere. Therefore, their cash flow will be will tend to be unrestricted, and they will make a little bit more in the short term. Yeah, but if it, they are put in an orderly situation, it is understandable that they can uh, be able to just uh, make as much, uh, you know, in an orderly business fashion. Uh, but you suggest that the only way is to put them back in the market, and then you have also told us about the. You have also told us about the, the political ramifications, the involvement of the CADA. Now, how do you, perhaps thinking of even the elections coming, how do you think the government would not suffer a backlash if they push them back into the markets uh, and there is loss of income from the cadres, and these people don't have cash flow in the immediate, and the, the, the poverty situation, how, how, how uh, do, you, do you think that the government can be able to push the people back into the market without political ramifications? To answer you in a, in a simple, uh, uh, in a one-word answer, no. Uh, if, if the government does that, there would be, there would be a backlash. There would be ramifications. There would be consequences. But my my. And, of course, remember also that I'm not a government employee. I do not work for the government, and I'm not a politician. I'm just a businessman that, that, is, that is consistently in touch with the street vendor. My view is that the government needs to do what's right, not mm. what is expedient. Exactly. Okay? It's expedient for them to allow street vending so that they can win an election, but – it's right for them to say, go back to the market. Let me give you this scenario. Some of you know this, but some of you may not know the backstory. Do you realize that when cholera broke out, when cholera first broke out two years ago, there was a very, very important meeting that was held. Uh, the president, the mayor's office, local government and housing, and uh, uh, the Ministry of Defense and all those guys, they told the president, you have to remove the street vendors. Otherwise, our people will die like flies. Mm. President Lungu did something. Now, you know, I don't know what your guy, your political affiliations are, but I'm telling you this from someone that's on the ground. President Lungu did something that no other president has ever done, and that is remove all the street vendors, push them back into the market so that we can fight this cholera. I believe that other presidents would have said, find a way around it. Now, for those of you that live in the diaspora, you may, you may look at it and think, oh, well, that was a simple decision, uh, uh, an easy decision for him to make. It was not. I mean, that, you talk about political ramifications. When he removed the street vendors, I mean, I was here. The vendors, were, it, were, they were furious. But they were told, it's either you're, you, you are furious and live, or you're happy and you die. You choose. And so they were removed. Now, uh, it's important for you guys to also understand that the, 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 the local authority, 
Ministry of Local Government, Lusaka City Council, the President's Office, they tried to take advantage of this new wave of cleanliness because they, mm. they knew if we can put them back into the, into the market, we can clean the streets. For the first time, Nathan, mm. in, a, in many, many years, you could stand on one end of Cairo Road and look down and you could see all the way to the end. That had never happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Amazing. So now, that's when they, they jumped on this new campaign, this Make Zambia Clean, Green, and Healthy. But unfortunately, we're slipping back because of politics, because marketeers yeah. are going to Qadr, telling them that, no, we're not eating, we're not selling on, uh, in the market. What the, the market. What the, 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 yeah, what the traders want, what they want is, is they want to trade on the street. Why? Because on the street, they make three, four times more than if they sat in the market. But if all of them were in the market, it's a win-win. Win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an, excellent, that's an excellent piece of insight for us. Um, but I think that um, uh, it doesn't have to be a paradox. To If President Lungo has even moved people before, uh, on the pretext of uh, taking away the diseases, uh, I believe that the, the way to move people back into the market is not forced. Use economic incentives, short-term economic incentives. The people will move. They will, they will follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, my brother? I love, I love to hear you say that. Uh, but unfortunately, practically on the ground here in the big LSK, in Z, that doesn't work. You have to force them because if you don't force them, you won't get it. Mm-hmm. It won't be done, unfortunately. And, 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 and guys, I'm going to use a, a, a phrase that I know you guys over there in stateside, stateside, you don't really like this phrase, you know, because you're all democratic and stuff. But over here, you need someone with a heavy hand. You need, at times, you need a benevolent dictator to say move or die. Uh, the, the, the key thing you've mentioned is the word benevolent there. So you, it's a combination of a stick and a carrot, incentives and a little force. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love that. I love the way he just worded that. Incentives and a little force. I love that. I love it. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Okay, let's conclude this discussion, Chitambala. So generally, what happened three days ago, uh, the damage by the storm in the market is being fixed, right? It's being fixed right now. Um, there now, was a crane. There mean. was a crane from ZNS. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. In, in fact, it's, as I'm speaking to you now, uh, hmm. one has just left. It's carrying okay. all the pieces, all the. In fact, I'm looking out my window right now. They have. And as soon as I get off the phone with you, I'm going to post the update. They've just cleared. The first shelter. They've cut up the whole first shelter, so they've got one Excellent. shelter left to cut up, mm. and then the whole mm-hmm. area will be open and clear. And then we'll hear now what the government will plan to do after that. Excellent, excellent. Well, my brother, it's always a joy and a pleasure to talk to you for us to get updates as they are happening. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. You guys are so awesome and. And bless you guys over there. I, I miss America every single day 
you know, just to tell you this real quick, do, do you know when I, I missed America the most? Uh-huh. When you guys were fighting between Chick-fil-A or Popeye's fried chicken. <laughs> Brother, everything in me just wanted to go get a visa. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so I, I miss it over there. Uh, you know, you guys, and we're, we're proud of you guys doing what you guys do there. And, uh, you know, whenever you're back in town, please come through. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We shall do that. That was Mr. Chitambala Mwewa joining us from Lusaka. We thank you for taking the time. December, we've dedicated the month to discussing political issues and the markets in Zambia political, believe it or not. Thank you for the insight and the update. And uh, we hope to have Bishop uh, Nambi next weekend to talk about declaring Zambia as a Christian nation and how divisive the the whole thing has been to the country. Thank you, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays.